Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Don't Tell Me The Score, the podcast that uses sport to explore life's bigger questions. My name is Simon Mundy, and each week I sit down with an expert from the biggest sporting names in the world to Buddhist monks, neuroscientists, psychologists and philosophers. We discuss a theme that tells us something insightful and important about life and how best to live it, from the importance of self-acceptance to facing addiction and developing resilience, right through to getting your circadian rhythms in sync and how to sleep better. Sport is a metaphor for life, and in this podcast, I aim to prove that right. I always like hearing from you, so the best way to get in touch is via my website, simonmundy.com, or I'm at Simon Mundy on social media. In this episode, I'm talking to philosopher Ryan Holiday about stoicism. Ryan Holiday, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm well. I'm as good as you can be uh, in lockdown for a global pandemic, but but otherwise good. Yeah. How are you coping? Uh, you know, I'm good. I think one of the one of the perks or sort of benefits of being a writer, uh, I, I got some advice early in my career from a, a well-known writer, and he sort of said, "Look, there's a lot of not great things about the job, but the 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 one good thing is like." everything that happens to you is material. So he's like, you get dumped, you go bankrupt, you know, you get cancer. You didn't tell me anything about a pandemic. But the, the one good thing is that you can use it and that it fuels the work. And so that, that is sort of, I mean, it's a small silver lining given the, the immense cost economically, you know, globally, tragically. But, you know, I, I am trying to just at least stay productive and try to channel my sort of feelings and emotions into into 
some, you know, sort of form of uh, of, of art or, or words. You were talking about Robert Greene there, weren't you? Who was... Uh, I am, yeah. Who was um, basically... A, uh, he was the author of, amongst other things, The 48 Laws of Power, which is huge in the hip-hop community and various other places, who mentored you to some degree early in your career, and I know you're still close. But um, it's interesting what you say, because it is a tricky time. That much is absolutely self-evident. But do you sense there is as well opportunity? I mean, there there, there has to be. Uh, there, there has to be. I, I remember when I was writing The Obstacles Away, uh, the sort of last financial crisis was closer in the rear view mirror uh, than, than obviously this one was, was uh, through the windshield. And so I, I, rem- I remember... Uh, you know, Occupy Wall Street was happening, uh, a, a bunch of different things. But but uh, so one of the things I was doing is I, I just went and I looked at a bunch of different companies that had started in, you know, economic uh, crises or bear markets or recessions like, uh, you know, Disney launched in 1929. Um, F- FedEx, like a company people are depending on right now, uh, started I, I think in the 70s in in one of the in in, in one of the the sort of uh, stagflation uh, recessions of the 70s. So so of of course, like we we know historically uh, when you look back, a whole bunch of things that were that, that are doing uh, great today or, or were doing great up until recently. Um, started in turn in situations that you know were less than ideal, but that's when the person had the idea. You know, that's when the things came together, and and you know we didn't start calling it the Great Depression until some time after it, right? Like a lot of times, it's only clear in retrospect how bad things really were, and so what 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 ultimately you have to do is like just keep your head down and do what you can with what you have where you are. And and I I do I do think that there are obviously some opportunities. Would it be better if this didn't happen? Of course, but it, it's it's going to present opportunities as as well as obstacles. Was it Warren Buffett? Was it uh, be greedy when others are not, or a variation on that theme? Yeah. So that's the material side. But in turn, because rather than materially, do you think the value system of your country, my country, the world could potentially change with what's going on? I mean, I, I, to me, that would be the the only way to redeem ourselves to 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 create meaning out out of this out of this tragedy, which which nobody nobody wanted and nobody invited, but certainly uh, many of our let's call them lack of virtues or weaknesses, both culturally and and in in our leaders, has exacerbated and and allowed to to make much worse. I, so. I, I carry a coin in my pocket uh, of the four Stoic virtues, which are courage, temperance, justice, and wisdom. So basically, you know, sort of not being afraid, uh, sort of moderation and self-discipline, you know, justice, so that's serving the common good, being of use, being of service, doing your duty, and then ultimately sort of wisdom, knowledge, education. I mean, I, I think when you look at what's happening right now, um, you could argue that we are, that, that it our lack of, of, of virtue in those four areas, um, particularly at the sort of high governmental level, um, it, it is responsible for, for so much of the woes we're experiencing right now. And of course, look, individuals are not guiltless in this as well. I mean, I think 
you know, the other Warren Buffett quote is, you know, it's when the tide goes out, you, you figure out who's naked. And I think a lot of us were not as prepared as we needed to be. You know, we took liberties and and risks that maybe uh, presumed uh, that the status quo was was, you know, more guaranteed than it was. But I think we are we are certainly suffering from a leadership perspective uh, from, from a lack of those those virtues. And then, yeah, we're feeling it financially. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk obviously about um, how stoicism can be of use uh, at this time. And we'll get into that. Um, but I, I want to really sort of backtrack just a tiny bit because you mentioned uh, the, ob the obstacle. There it is right there, my well-thumbed copy. And you'll be impressed to know that even before... Uh, I've I've checked out a few of your stuff since um, around keeping notes and whatever else. You you'd be very impressed to hear that my copy has is covered in highlighter pen the whole way through, right from when I first read it. So uh, it's it's um, that's amazing. It's particularly salient at a time like this, isn't it? And um, the funny thing that or, or an interesting thing from your point of view is that you didn't set out to make a book that was going to be mega popular in say the sporting world did you but yet that's exactly what happened yeah i mean yes yeah, cer certainly when i when i sat down to write a book about ancient philosophy i was not thinking uh you know the nba or major league baseball or college football i wasn't thinking rugby or cricket or you know i, I was i wasn't thinking sports at all um but but it it has been surreal and and and, and sort of humbling and, and also exciting to to see this book make its way to yeah Super Bowl winners and you know national champions and and all stars and in, in sort of all these all these different sports. Um, but I, you know I think it makes sense uh, when when there there were the early Stoics were athletes you know uh, athletics were a fundamental part of Roman life, but but I think. You know whether you're at the elite level in business or the armed forces or uh, the arts or uh, athletics, like what the, the sort of principles and virtues and uh, you know sort of skill required is fundamentally the same, even if you're doing very different things. Yeah, I mean, it apply, it's universal and eternal, really, isn't it? The philosophy of the Stoics. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, I um, yeah, I speak to various people. For example, about, um, you know, even other therapies or modern therapies, let's say. And then you have sport cliches, you know, control the controllables. Sure. And, and everything I come across has sort of one foot in the stoic world, it seems. Yeah, I, th I think so. I mean, like one of the advantages is that they, they wrote all this down 2000 years ago. So, that, you know, they, they've had sort of a head start and it's kind of sort of wormed its way through how we think. And and, and it's like they got there first, basically. But but yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the fundamental sort of stoic idea is like we don't control what happens. We control how we respond. And that's pretty much what coaches are there to teach their athlete. I mean, that is like the the most bedrock, you know, sort of uh, assumption of sports as well. Um, you know, there's sort of these rules and there's what your opponent is doing and you don't control any of that. All you control is what you do. And, you know, the Stoics understood this earliest and best and and tried to to sort of come up with a framework or a way of operating that would allow them to 
you know, to sort of respond well to whatever life or the game uh, threw at them. You're pretty prolific, really, uh, across various um, platforms. You know, you're a writer, a marketer, a researcher. To what degree is your personal professional success down to, you know, you stumbling across stoicism What when you were, what, sort of 19, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, of course. It, it's it's not just like a thing. That, I'm not like an academic who specialized in a field of philosophy, but I don't actually like sort of believe it or like it. Like this is what I try to apply in my life. I, I do try to make a distinction, like just because I know this to be true and just because I believe it doesn't mean that I'm able to practice it all the time, just in the way that, a you know, a, a uh, it doesn't matter you know, sort of how often you go to church or, or how fervently believe you believe you're still going to sin and you're still going to have doubts and still mess up. But uh, yeah, I mean, to me, this is the framework that uh, is responsible for, you know, the, the success I've had as an author. I think it's it's responsible for the, you know, the things I've maybe bounced back from as a person. I, I am trying to apply these ideas, you know, day in and day out. And, and, that in and of itself is is an important, I think, idea in Stoicism. I think most people, when you ask them what philosophy is, you know, they, they think it's like, you know, a bunch of sort of inscrutable ideas from, you know, people with big names that they can't pronounce. It's, we, we tend to think of philosophy as an academic discipline or a, a theoretical exercise. And what, what I am so drawn to in, in the Stoics, what I am most inspired by and what I try to, you know, sort of portray in my books is, is like, you know, Marcus Aurelius was a philosopher, but is he was also the emperor or, you know, Cato, one of the famous Stoics, didn't write anything down. Um, he was a philosopher because of how he lived the Stoic ideas. Um, and, and so, again, this is, uh, I think, a, a very important distinction. It, it's not the beautiful, you know, turns of phrase they came up with. It's it's what they do when the chips were down. Yes, yeah, a practical way of, of approaching life. So you mentioned, um, well, before we get on to, to Marcus Aurelius, who I know is the guy you tend to quote or look to most. Yeah. You've already kind of explained it. But if you had to sum up stoicism in a phrase or a sentence or two, how would you... Yeah, I, I would say it's a philosophy for action. Uh, it's a it's a philosophy for living. So Marcus sort of sums up Stoicism. He says it's sort of three things, and, th and these are the three disciplines. He says uh, what you need in this very moment is objective uh, objective judgment, unselfish action, and then willing acceptance of everything that's outside of your control. And so that gives us the discipline of of perception, the discipline of action, and and what they call the discipline of the will. So basically, it's like you got to think right, you got to act right, and then you have to, you know, be willing to endure and and sort of process that which is sort of beyond you or outside of your control. And, and yeah, like the, the Stoics say, we don't control what happens, we control how we respond. But therefore, everything that happens is a chance to practice those virtues uh, that we were talking about, including, you know, the, you know, the, the sort of the events that we're experiencing right now, nobody asked for a pandemic. It's not your fault. Um, you know, you, you didn't choose to be locked up in your house, but you do decide 
what you're going to do while you're in there. Yeah, the will, that's this part that's been really highlighted, hasn't it? Yeah. So you talked about the essence of Stoicism then, and correct my pronunciation if I balls it up. So Amor Fati, right? Yeah, Amor Fati. Well, if you can explain what that is, so that's as well the essence of Stoicism, isn't it? Yeah, it it is. Ironically, uh, the, the phrase itself, that Latin expression, which means a love of fate, actually comes to us you know, hundreds of years later from Nietzsche, but but he's summarizing this sort of stoic idea, which is that you Im- that that so much of that is outside of our control. These things happen to us, and so one option would be to complain, one option would be to whine, one option would be to resent. He says, actually, and this is what the Stoics are saying: you just embrace it. You go like, this is all that I have, and so I'm not going to wish it was different. I'm going to accept it for what it is. Uh, Epictetus, who's a, a slave, one of the early Stoics, he says, like, look, instead of wishing for things to happen as you want them to be, um, wish them to be what they are and your life will be well. And and, and so what, what the Stoics are saying is um, in, in, instead of wishing this away, instead of denying it, instead of resisting it, you go, OK, this is the situation I'm in. I am going to embrace it and I'm going to, you know, sort of rest as much of it, rest as much as I can from it. You know, Marcus, uh, he has this sort of image of fire and meditations. And he talks about how anything you throw on top of a fire is fuel for the fire. That's sort of the stoic idea of Amor Fati, that that our obstacles can actually be fuel um, if we sort of properly you know, sort of absorb them. Yeah. I mentioned um, values earlier, and I think it's interesting right now in the everything's kind of been thrown up in the air and Mm -hmm. people are sort of seeing kind of what's important. But a a thought that came to me is how people are quite focused on goals generally. Values get somewhat overlooked. So values being things like perhaps humility or acceptance or all those things that you touched on on there. If you live your life according to values, not only are you able to get feedback, positive feedback in the moment, in the present, but also it makes accepting situations like we're in that much easier. Sure. And, and look, for, for the Stoics, the most important value is this, this idea of character. Uh, and and one, of the, one of the expressions the Stoics loved was this idea that character is fate. Um, which, you know, dates back, you know, hundreds of years, even before the Stoics. But it's this idea that like sort of who you are determines what will happen to you and and the quality of the life that you'll have. And I think from a leadership perspective that that has never been proven more than this moment that we're in. You know, uh, countries all over the world essentially elected Let's call them sort of populist leaders, or you could call them charismatic leaders, or 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 just leaders who who promised them a bunch of good things and offered uh, you know a number of let's call them character flaws in, in their person, right? And so if you look at a Donald Trump or a whoever whoever you want to look at, the trade off was, hey, this is not a good person. I I wouldn't want this guy to be my boss. I wouldn't want my kids to turn out like him but he's going to drive the stock market up, right? That's the sort of fundamental trade-off a lot of Americans were making. Um, and and now we are experiencing the true cost of that bargain, that character is fate, that, oh, hey, a person who lies, you know, a person who takes shortcuts, a person who doesn't take responsibility, who's not capable of, you know, getting advice or 
or facing facts or dealing with difficulty is, you know, lo and behold, the absolute worst person you would want in charge during a, you know, a global pandemic that threatens millions of people's lives and livelihoods. So you're clearly no Donald Trump fan. No, no. The interesting thing, I think, about Donald Trump and Marcus Aurelius is that there are parallels, aren't there, insofar as Mm -hmm. they are both, or in Marcus's case was, probably the most powerful man in their respective times. Sure. Look, Marcus Aurelius, also born uh, with a silver spoon in his mouth, also presided over what was called the Antonine Plague that killed something like 10 to 15 million people in Rome, you know, uh, that inherited sort of a... Uh, an enormous, you know, took over an enormous empire that was sort of fraying at the edges. There were border crises, there was civil dissent, you know, there, there was troublesome children, you know, there's, there, you could, you could look at any number of parallels. A nice quote of Marcus Aurelius, which brings us on to how to address challenges or indeed this one big challenge that we're all swamped by, Mm -hmm. is the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way, which is the essence of of obstacle, isn't it? And you mentioned perception, action and the will. So let's um, turn our attention to perception specifically. Sure. Can you elaborate on this? But essentially, it's the idea that uh, nothing in and of itself has any good or bad qualities, really. It, nothing makes us feel a certain way. We choose how we feel about any given occurrence, thing, person, whatever. Yeah, that's right. And look, when people hear good or bad, they get real nervous because they think that's a moral judgment. Uh, that's when Shakespeare says nothing, neither good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. He doesn't mean there's not such thing as 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 good and evil. He means there's no positive or negative without our opinion. And, that, and that's actually a, a very stoic idea. Epictetus says, you know, it's not things that upset us. It's our judgment about things. Basically, the world is objective. We decide that it's bad, right? We, we decide that, um, you know, this is a setback versus, uh, you know, a, a huge win. We decide that someone's comment was rude versus funny. You know, we decide that, that uh, someone, you know, is our friend or, or our enemy. These are opinions, judgments we put on top of things. And, and so what the Stokes are really just talking about is that, they go, oh, it's really important that we have power or influence over how we look at things. So Marcus Aurelius talks about, it, he's like, you got to, you know, he says your, your, your mind is dyed by your thoughts, right? Like you, you have to, you have to decide how you're going to look at the world. And so if you go around looking at the world as unfair or unjust or cruel or out to get you, what you're doing is really adding a sort of a bunch of personal judgments uh, on, 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 objective events, what you should be going around is, is going, Hey, this happened and I'm going to deal with it as opposed to this happened and I've been harmed by it. Mm. In doing that stops energy, a loss of energy, and it, and it keeps your power internally having that outlook, doesn't it? And it sets up that next discipline, which is the action, right? It sets you up like so. So one of the stories I tell in in, in Obstacle is is Eisenhower uh, as they face the sort of massive Nazi counteroffensive after D Day, um, and there's this famous scene. He calls all his generals in, and you know, sort of everyone's despondent. They've never faced, you know. The, the, everything that could go wrong is going wrong. It looks like they might sort of be driven back to the sea. It's this massive, you know, blitzkrieg. 
and, and, and the Blitzkrieg itself was a strategy that was designed to sort of overwhelm the perception of the enemy. And Eisenhower sort of realizes this and he says, hey, you know, this, he says, this is good. We're going to see this as an opportunity instead of disaster. You know, he says, I only want to see cheerful faces around this conference table. So that's like the first part. He's decided, you know, to, to not be rattled by this. And then he does actively look, he realizes that, oh, you know, the Nazis are overreaching here. You know, if we can absorb this blow, you know, we can sort of encircle it. And, and that what, what, what we now know is the battle of the bulge is is that response, right? So it's not just about wishful thinking. You then have to take action about it, but deciding to see something as an opportunity. If, if you woke up yesterday and you looked at your stock market portfolio and you said, I'm destroyed, I'm ruined, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay down and die, you know, that that that's one of your options. Or you go, hey, everything is now at a 40% discount. You know, what what investments can I make? What opportunities can I make? You know, how can I protect myself? You, you can decide to, to embrace uh, the, the opportunity inherent in that very real problem that you face. That That's where that discipline comes in. Uh, two things that came to mind just as you were speaking there. The Blitzkrieg example, to take a, a sporting example along the same lines, reminds me of uh, Muhammad Ali soaking up George Foreman's mm -hmm. Blitzkrieg. Yes. And then the other thing, you mentioned the word cheerfulness, cheerfulness and everything. That's another stoic ideal. Yeah, it's it's got to be. I, I think when people hear the word stoic, they think sort of emotionless endurance, right? Or Or sort of like, you know, simply gritting your teeth through pain. I, I, it's, it's gotta be more than that. Uh, it's, it's obviously about keeping an even keel. That's part of it. But I think what you really want to get, and you see this with the best athletes on the, on the field is that they, and, and, and this is that idea of a morphati. They actually love that challenge, right? You know, they, they love it. You know, Tom, Tom Brady coming back, uh, you know, uh, you know, 28 to three in the Super Bowl, uh, is, is not, you know, is not there's not a dead look on his face. He is fully engaged. Like this is what he lives for. This is, this is it. That's where you, that's where you want to, that's where you want to get to. Yeah. Do you know Johnny Wilkinson, the rugby player? I don't. Okay. So Johnny Wilkinson, a rugby union, big sport over here. Um, got a touch of the American football about it, except they don't wear helmets. And uh, Johnny Wilkinson was like the English pin-up, the star, the, the Tom Brady of his day, essentially. And I had him on the show and he talked about um, basically in the, the World Cup final that England won, the one and only one they won. It came down to 17-0 in the last minute. Well, no, it was 17-14 and, and Australia had a kick to make it 17-0. And they wanted him to kick it over because they wanted to be tested in that moment. And that's when he knew that they, they were champions, essentially. And so it's that idea of, you know, they want to go through the tough stuff. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I think Phil, Phil Jackson's talked about that too. He says, you know, sometimes a championship team has to narrowly lose to realize that, uh, that, they, ha that they, they can go almost all the way and then they come back the next year and they're able to sort of overcome it. And so, so yeah, like for the players, that loss is crushing, right? But for the coach who's been there, he, this is like music to his ears, right? He knows. And so I think what we're trying to cultivate as a stoic is just some, a, a bit of wisdom and perspective. And so, yeah, like, look, like 
I'm, 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 I'm in my mid thirties. So the financial crisis in 2007, 2008, you know, it, it's not that it didn't register for me, but it, I, I, I didn't have really anything to lose. Right. There, there wasn't, uh, I, I was just out of college. Like it, it was obviously scary and alarming and there were effects of that, that, that I felt, but, but it was, it was mostly a negative event for me, but then also an event that I didn't quite understand what I was going through. Cause I'd never been through something like that before. And now when I look at the markets today or I look what's going on, obviously I don't like it. It's not how I want things to be, but I, I have an, some experience or perspective that puts me in a position to see what advantages can come from it. And I have the, I have the, the knowledge like, oh, I've been through something like this before. I'll be able to get through this. Uh, and, and one of the stories I tell an obstacle is the story of, Thomas Edison, the, the story I use, I tell to illustrate the idea of Amor Fati, his factory famously burns down and, and, and he, he sort of is cheerfully enjoying this scene almost to the, you know, complete disbelief of everyone around him. He actually says like to his son, he says, go get your mother and all her friends. They'll never see a fire like this again. Um, but he tells a reporter the next day, he's like, look, I've been through things like this before. Um, I'm going to be all right. And, and that, that's, you can't fake that. He really had been through all sorts of adversity before, including, you know, losing his hearing. So he knew like, hey, uh, yeah, sure, shit gets bad, but, you know, people survive. Yeah. Now, in terms of perception, so you break it down into a few things. So to be objective, to control emotions, to choose to see good, to steady our nerves, to ignore what disturbs or limits others, to place things in perspective, to revert to the present moment, to focus on what can be controlled. So just can we just quickly go through a couple of them and uh, or even all of them briefly and just relate them perhaps to to what's going on at the moment. So so in terms of, you know, how would you say if someone said, OK, how do I be objective about what's going on now? How, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think you would you you look at the facts. Like, okay, uh, this is uh, this is bad compared to X, Y, and Z. But I'd certainly rather be living through the coronavirus than the Spanish flu. I'd certainly be rather be living through this than you know a smallpox ap- epidemic. Or you know, I'd, I'd certainly rather be living through this than the Antonine plague. Um, so, so you have to put you have to look at the information unflinchingly and honestly. But but that also includes, you know, putting it in perspective compared to other things. Uh, and, and so what the Stoics are trying to do is, yeah, like uh, you, you've you've got to be blunt and you've got to be realistic. But oftentimes what we're where why we're feeling fear and anxiety is because actually we're not being realistic. We're being exaggerated. Yeah. Controlling emotions. And you, you talk um, about astronauts and this is really this really struck with me the idea of developing the art of not panicking essentially and it it is a skill it it absolutely uh chris hadfield the canadian astronaut he says like astronauts are not braver than other people they're just meticulously prepared Uh, and that's really the idea um when john glenn was the first american to, to orbit the earth his heart rate never went above 100. That's not because he's a superhero. It's because he trained repeatedly to get to a, like my heart rate is, my resting heart rate is lower than, you know, my wife's uh, resting heart rate because 
I'm a distance runner and she's not right. Like I've trained myself to get to a point where that that's, that's where my body can operate. Whereas, you know, if you drop me into a war zone and guns started going off, my, I, I wouldn't be able to handle that. I'd be terrified. I might freeze. But if you dropped a special forces soldier into that same situation, you know, they'd take to it like, you know, a duck to water. And so, you know, how, how we train uh, and, and the, the, the preparation we do sets us up to either be successful or not successful. I know that you're a, a big runner, as you said there. Are there any other practices that, that you do or value in terms of, of controlling emotions? So, for, you know, I know for me, meditations help me uh, have a bit more distance between, um, you know, essentially riding the waves of life, apart from running and physical exercise, which are obviously valuable. Any, any others that, that you would recommend to anyone wanting to learn how to control their emotions, particularly now? Yeah, I mean, look, Marcus Aurelius's work survives to us because it was his journal. He did not write a book about philosophy. What he did was he wrote every day notes to himself about what he believed, what he was struggling with, how he's trying to get better. And so every every morning I, I sit down with a journal and I try to work on a journal. We we make one called the Daily Stoic Journal, but but the idea is you have to sit down and wrestle with this stuff. It's like an ongoing like I, I'm I'm struggling with this now. I have a sister who lives in New York City who won't leave. And and this is something that gives me anxiety. It's also something I'm angry about. It's also something I, you know, there, there's there's a lot of conflicting emotions that I feel about that. And as I try to sort of go about my life and try to handle the situation properly, I want to make sure I'm having, I'm getting out the unhelpful thoughts or, or the frustration on the page rather than on other people or rather just racing around in my mind all day when I'm trying to do what I need to do. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Yeah, the power of journaling. I actually spoke to a neuroscientist recently who said it's a really 
one reason it's so powerful is because it actually taps into a different part of your brain. So it's a really good way of expressing emotion as a metaphor, a way of dumping emotion out of your brain. That's exactly right. I mean, look, it literally is putting distance between you and your thoughts. Even if it's only a foot or two, like instead of those thoughts being in your mind, which kind of can make them feel valid or make them feel sort of vague and, and not articulated, to write them down forces you to really stare them in the face. So choosing to see good is the next one. And Marcus Aurelius, I know, was a guy who was able to appreciate the little things, even during the plague or, or death around him. So you talk about the the sound and the smell of, of newly baked bread coming out of the oven. So, yeah, choosing to see good. I, again, I guess I guess this is a skill, but what would, what would be your words of wisdom here? Yeah, it's sort of cultivating this kind of artist's eye for the world. That That's what's so beautiful about meditation. There are these you know, insane observations and tw twists and turns of phrases that, and you realize like, oh man, he wasn't writing this for anyone but himself. And yet here is this sort of, you know, I'm, I'm, as I'm talking to you, I'm looking out the window and there's this, you know, cute squirrel eating nuts and the, you know, like I could, the, it just rained. And so the, the ground is wet, but it, the, the sun has come up, you know, you just, it, it's sort of cult, the, the ability to sort of see beauty everywhere and everything, you know, to see, uh, uh, I, I keep, uh, you know, I, sometimes I, I, I keep on my desk, I have this sort of pen knife, uh, that, that, that's from like three or 400 AD. So this is like, it's a, it's an ancient Roman relic. And sometimes I look at it and I just try to think about all the things that that has endured or been through or experienced but the, the Stoics are kind of trying to zoom in and out with your perspective as a way to kind of you know, clear the gears that might be grinding in there. So, so part of it's just those sort of ordinary observations. But then I think mainly what we're trying to cultivate when we talk about looking for the good is finding the opportunity inside every obstacle. And, and again, when you're dealing with a global pandemic, the opportunities are, are hardly going to outweigh the negatives. But the Stokes would say, you know, let's, let's, maybe there's a, a small make good here that we can find, right? There's some small silver lining or, or, or um, yeah, there's, a, there's just a small silver lining that, that we can focus on. There's no problem so bad that there's some good can't come out of it, whether it's just learning or it's just a reminder. Two things that just uh, came to mind. First of all, when you talked about the, the scene out of your window, actually um, maybe have a quick, quick wry smile because I'm sat in my uh, living room in and in the most ridiculous setup. I've got kind of books propping up microphones and laptops and various things. And and the sun just came up outside my window too. And as just before you said that, I was sort of sat back thinking, this is cool. I'm chatting to you, huge fan of your work, a ridiculous setup around me, but th this, is, this is really cool. Yeah, nice. yeah. Something I've noticed is, so I, I have quite a few, and I'm sure this is true for you too, that, that people get in touch with you and you know talk perhaps about difficulties they go through because obviously of, of your work being of a self-help nature. And um, I've had a few people talk about, and I've noticed it even myself, in that because the busyness that the world was like just a matter of weeks ago, it has ceased to be the same, is that it's afforded people an opportunity, or that might not feel like an opportunity, to sit with uh, uncomfortable emotions. Some people might call it the shadow or whatever. And, and that 
is an opportunity, isn't it? What's that saying? I'm sure you're you're familiar with it, which is um, all the problems of the world could be solved if man could sit in a room without any stimulation uh, and and sort of be okay. Yeah, that's definitely happening now. So it is an opportunity for us to become okay with ourselves and face some of the stuff that we've been avoiding for a long time. Sure. No, that that's one of the conversations my wife and I have been having, and obviously we're very privileged to to be able to have it. But it's like hey, when this is over, how do we preserve some of this? Because actually, this is a little bit closer to what I want my life to be than the the so-called normal life, you know, uh, was even just a few weeks ago. Um, It's so easy to sort of get caught up in, you know, the, the sort of drag and pull of what everyone else is doing or what you're supposed to be doing that you don't, you don't often take the time or have the opportunity to get a sense of how you actually want it to be. And yeah, look, all my travel, uh, all the speaking that I do has been canceled. So on the one hand, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars that I'll I'll probably never get back. Uh, On the other hand, you know, I've probably been home uninterrupted longer than I have been, you know, since my, my last kid was born. And, you know, as a reminder that I, you know, this is actually what I like more. And so, you know, just making sure that you, that maybe the opportunity, yeah, is to see things from a perspective you ordinarily wouldn't have been able to see it from. Yeah. Food, a roof and connection with people around us. That seems to be, it quickly becomes clear that everything else is a bonus on top of that, really. Yeah. The the Stoics say very little is needed for the happy life, but we, we sort of lose track of that. Yeah. To ignore what disturbs or limits others. And something that, that came to my mind is just not spending the whole time watching the news and driving yourself anxious, which I did, I admit, whole hand up. The first week, it affected my sleep, it affected my output, everything like that, and, and we've since stopped. That's what's come to my mind, is is not getting swept up, perhaps, in the mass panic. Yeah, I, I think I think that that's absolutely right. Um, I, I try to ask myself when I'm consuming news, am I going to do anything with this information? And if the answer is no, then I've got to reconsider uh, whether it's uh, the right thing for me. Um, so uh, I think most of what I'm trying to talk about in that chapter of the book is is this idea of like, hey, um, a lot of people have very clear understanding of, of uh, limitations. Like people are like, oh, this is impossible. That's not possible. Don't do this. This won't work. And, you know, these are just made up opinions as well. And so you've got to sort of test these things for yourself. Absolutely. Placing things in perspective. I think we've kind of covered that to some degree already. So to revert to the present moment. Now, I've talked about how stoicism and other philosophies and therapies and stuff overlap and presence and being present has been a huge sort of thing over the last few years. I think of people like Eckhart Tolle. And something I've thought about in this current time is is just living day by day. Some days are better than others, but living day by day. And you can shorten even more than that, can't you? Yeah, I think I think what I what I would say is like, look, what we tend to what we're facing is very difficult, right? And and just like what you do is difficult. Interview interviewing someone is hard. Interviewing someone while you're also trying to check messages on your phone and you're thinking about the vacation that you're going to go on, you know, and, you know, you're fantasizing about this or that, that makes that really hard thing harder. 
Um, and so, you know, th there's almost a, f a form of arrogance in not being present. Like, oh, I can do this with one hand tied behind my back. Like, it's ridiculous. And so, yeah, you, you've got you've got to be present. And I just try to constantly remind myself when I'm thinking about all this other stuff, what I'm not doing is is putting the full force of my energy on the really difficult problem that I'm supposed to be dealing with. I know you talk about this a lot out before, certainly before the pandemic. We've never lived in a more safe, comfortable time ever. Yet at the same time, I think it's fair to say uh, that, that we've also never lived in a less present or, or indeed a, a, a less distracted time. Yeah, I mean, that quote we talked about earlier from Blaise Pascal, where he says, all of humanity's problems stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I mean, that was 500 years ago. You know, there was no iPhone. There was no television. You know, there weren't $59 cross-country flights. You know, like uh, there wasn't unlimited amounts of pornography. You know, there wasn't any of the things that made it even more tempting to not be present. Yeah. I was going to make a comment about pornography, but I won't. <laughs> All right, I'll leave that. So I know we skipped over perspective, but actually something popped in my head around something you've talked about, sports psychology studying athletes who, who went through adversity or, or big injury. And of course they suffered initially, but it gave them a big perspective in terms of wanting to help others. I actually spoke to someone uh, on the show recently who, really interestingly, she a uh, World Cup winner, best at her sport, hockey player, and uh, she suffered a brain injury. So she had to basically be inside a darkened room for, for months on end. Not only is that good practice for now, but she said it gave her a complete overhaul of her, her values, her outlook, and, and what's important. So great training for what we're all going through now. But yeah, can you just talk a little bit about, about that particular finding? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, if, if we wanted to connect it more directly to, to sort of the UK, I mean, those 10 years that Churchill spends in the political wilderness seemed like a terrible injustice. They seem sort of so inconceivable in retrospect, but it was actually that time that gave Churchill the perspective, the ability to zoom out, the ability to, to think, the ability to rest even, that allowed him to be the one standing when, when it came time uh, to be called back. But to fully understand the gravity of the threat in front of him. I'm just not sure if, if Churchill had been, you know, day-to-day uh, -day consumed with, you know, the responsibilities that he so desperately craved in the early 30s, if he would have been in a position to, to be as, as prescient and, and as wise as he was. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, moving on to action then, and the idea that our, our our actions, our movements, and our decisions—they are what define us. It's not. It's it's the old thing about you know what what we do, not not what we say. Essentially, isn't it? Deeds, not words, right? Like uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt said, you know, he's long had this horror of 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 words not turned into deeds, and I'd say the Stoics probably ag agreed with that. Um, it, it, it was it was about what you did, not what you said. It was whether you lived up to what you said that really counted. Do you know, what? I think there's a, a really nice opportunity in this as well. Another way of looking at it that, that made me think about it is, is there so when I was younger, I used to put a lot of pressure on myself to be on form. As in, I've, I was always this kind of the, that class clown guy, the need, needing attention type guy. But 
the nice thing about deeds not words is it's like even if you feel rubbish even if you're not quote unquote on form it doesn't matter because it's what you do not what you say or indeed how you feel and again that comes back to acting on your values doesn't it yeah that that that's exactly right and i think we we just have to we have to remember that like okay seeing thing, seeing the opportunity in things is like only a only a very small part of it ultimately you have to take advantage of that opportunity like when 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 uh when when eisenhower was saying like hey uh you know we're gonna we're gonna well, there's only gonna be cheerful faces faces at this conference table that's that's part of it right that but the next part is okay how are we going to what are we going to do about this what is our action plan and if you don't if you don't have one you're you know you're just deluding yourself just quickly which i just think it's quite salient again pick me up on my pronunciation but is it demosthenes i've definitely mauled it demosthenes yeah demosthenes could you just because it's very you know of the moment could you just quickly tell that anecdote yeah so demosthenes is born with a stutter he's born uh his his parents dies orphaned the guardians sort of steal all of his money and 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 so you know this is a classic unfair you know, life sucks kind of a scenario. And instead, he basically enacts like the greatest movie training montage of all time. He shaves half of his head. So he's, you know, too scared to go outside and too embarrassed to go outside. He trains, he overcomes his stutter. He, you know, he he works out to build up. He becomes like the sort of most booming order and speaker in the history of Greece. Um, sort of makes him it, like like Roosevelt uh, makes his body makes himself into something great um, and is is it's action 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 that's what makes for a great life that's what makes for a great talk you have to you have to lead people and you have to lead yourself for first towards you know what are you gonna do right and and Marcus really talks about this too he says it's not what other people say or do it's not what you say or do. it's not what you say it's what you do that ultimately matters that's how you overcome obstacles that's how you move the ball forward that's how you improve you know you it's it's got to be what you do and we've all metaphorically had half our heads shaved now haven't we so you know there's no excuse really yes yes <laughs> i mean following the process again this is kind of the essence of presence really isn't it but uh yeah, what one step at a time. Bringing just briefly back to sports. So yeah. Nick Saban is that how you pronounce his name? I mean, he's not he's not well known over here. Nick Saban. Nick Saban. So he's uh, he should he should be he should be. he's the <laughs> he's the great. I mean, he's the greatest probably the greatest American football coach ever. I mean, him and him and Bill Belichick are the most sort of winningest college uh, football coaches of all time. Saban at, at the University of Alabama, Belichick with the Patriots, but Saban, you know, every year. You know the expectations for his teams are very, very high, and he's like, "That's not what I want people to be thinking about. I want people to be thinking about this this play in front of you." And in fact, he had a, a sports uh, scientist sort of the the average down in foot in college football is like seven seconds. He's like, "That's the timeline I want people to be thinking about. Like, do your job, do everything you're supposed to do." in these kind of seven second increments. And that's what adds up to a potential championship season. And for me, like as an author, you realize this too. You you go, oh, you know, a book is not a spurt of inspiration. It's not brilliance. It's a, it's a, you know, a 
plodding one foot in front of the other process. And, and actually one of the best advice pieces of advice I ever got about writing was, you know, it, they said, it's just two crappy pages a day. If you do two crappy pages a day, eventually you get to the, the end of the manuscript and, you know, somewhat quickly, and then, then you can edit it and refine it and improve it, but you can't edit something that doesn't exist, you know? And that's what most people do. They get, they get paralyzed by perfectionism or, you know, they get, they get turned off by the, you know, the, the intensity of the work they have to do. And really it's about showing up every day and doing the work and eventually, you know, um, you know, finished pages come out of the backside. And you've got a love, I think it's your quote. It may not be, but uh, it's, it's a great one. And I've just noted it down here. So generally people are A to Z thinkers and they forget about B to Y. Is that yours? I would say A to Z, but yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a great quote that. I mean, what a A to Z, forgetting about B to Y. So next time you catch yourself getting too far ahead, whether it be the book, climbing the mountain, whatever it is, yeah, think about B, C, D, E, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, it actually, go, yeah, really, I, B to C and, and C to D, right? Like, we get we get so consumed with what's going to happen in the future. I mean, I think this is the same thing a lot of, like, what gives me anxiety is thinking about how we're going to claw our way out of this thing and how long it's going to take. You know, it's, they go, the average, you know, uh, bear market takes 600 days to recover and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all of that's irrelevant. Like what matters is what I'm going to do today. Right. And, and am I going to do what I'm supposed to do today? That, that's how you get where you want to go. Before we get on to uh, the, the final straight, as it were, which is the will, just a quick one on, on the uh, doing your job and doing it right. And, and just that being the, uh, the everything, including what we're going through now, is a chance to do and be your best. That's all. We, again, it comes down to what you control. Yeah. One of the great expressions I heard is sort of how you do anything is how you do everything. And so what, what the problem is, is, and I think this is why, you know, Sabin is talking about these seven seconds is like people want to imagine themselves catching the touchdown pass. They want to imagine themselves doing, you know, the bit, but the, what, what they're ignoring is like, are they following their form? like lifting weights in the locker room on an ordinary, you know, Tuesday practice, right? Like um, as, as a writer, you know, it's like, hey, is this my idea? Is this my vision? Blah, blah, blah. And what you're not thinking about is like, did you get the intro sentence right? You know, did, did, did you get the title right? You know, did, how, did, how, does, how does every detail look? And so um, we can often tell ourselves that, that sort of the details don't matter, that you're a big picture person or that this task or that task is beneath you. Um, but but no, these little things matter and, and they certainly add up. Moving on to the, then the will, preparing for none of it to work, the art of acquiescence, I believe, right? Yeah, well, look, but you can do everything right and still get screwed over or fail, right? Like think, think about all the people that were doing everything. I think about my friends who had books coming out last week, right? Or you had people who saved painstakingly for their retirement and yesterday was, was supposed to be their last day and the money that they'd saved for years is now 40% of, uh, of, of, 
of what it what it was supposed to be, right? Things happen that are not fair. Life is not fair. Life is cruel. The Stokes would say over and over again that fortune behaves exactly as she pleases and she never hesitates to do what is within her power. You look at the history of Stoicism. It, you know, Marcus Aurelius. He 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 ultimately succumbs of the plague. Um, Seneca is exiled. You know, he he also you know has to spend ten years in co- convalescence for uh, tuberculosis. You know, Epictetus is born as a slave. So much stuff happens, even though we do everything right. And so you have to cultivate the ability to endure, to process. You know, to accept uh that 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 this is true right and and this is really hard and it's something i struggle with myself all the time i don't want things to be the way that they are i wish they were better i wish they were nicer i wish you know people got you know what they earned but that's that's not the reality of life and so we have to the stoics want us to cultivate that what marcus he says you know a willing acceptance of all external events uh, he calls this the art of acquiescence. We talked about a morfati earlier. It's it's just the it is what it is, and I've got to deal with that. One of the most affecting episodes that I've recorded was with a wakeboarder called Brad Smaler, who was essentially uh, world champion, or certainly in the mix to be world champion. He was a model. He basically was like living the dream life of a a young twenties man, and then he had an accident where. He broke his neck and, you know, couldn't move his arms and, and legs and hasn't been to, able to since. And I spoke to him, he, that happened in 2014, which is like, again, uh, well, not again, but I think is when your book came out. And um, and I spoke to him and it, the way he's been able to come to acceptance of his situation, I mean, was it's so powerful for me to listen to. And actually, it's helped some of my friends who've been going through difficult things. So, so that was one thing. And then coming back to the idea of values again, it, it's um, the Stoics would talk about it, it's an opportunity to practice things like humility, patience, ex- and acceptance, I guess, which is, is yeah. Forgiveness, right? Uh, gra- gratitude for what you still have. Um, I think the most powerful examples are, are people like the guy you were talking about. I, I was, uh, I, I wrote something a couple weeks ago about, um, I'm, I'm forgetting the guy's name. I feel terrible about it, but the, you know, the guy who, who created that, the ice bucket challenge that raised all, all, all this money, uh, you know, he, he did that under, you know, what was a fatal diagnosis the, the that was the, the sort of the final act of his life. Um, so in that moment, instead of feeling sorry for himself, instead of being angry, you know, instead of wanting to just sort of tune out and enjoy himself, all of which would have been perfectly reasonable and, and understandable reactions, he, he instead decided to focus on other people, on making a difference, on doing good, and, you know, managed to move the ball forward as far as finding a cure for that disease more than, you know, anyone ever had in history. And so, again, when we talk about the obstacle being the way, it's not always just about you. Oftentimes, the only redeeming, you know, the only redeeming or possible redemptive element of the story is that you can be a cautionary tale or that others can learn from your example or that you can prevent someone else from having to go through what you went through. 
It's that saying, isn't it? Plant trees that you'll never sit under. I love that quote. And I think that's actually, you know, one of the saddest things about where we are politically right now is that, uh, and, and look, I've got, you know, grandparents and, and, and older parents. If, if there was an indictment for that, those generations, it's that, you know, somewhere along the line, instead of thinking about future generations, like in the U.S., the old, the, the most intractable sort of most selfish voting block is, 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 is correlated with age. And, and I, you know, I talked to my parents about this. It's like, you know, these policies that you're talking about are good for you, but they are coming at the, you know, your refusal to grapple with things like climate change or income inequality. You know, it's not even affecting me, but it is going to affect your grandchildren in a very, very, very serious way. And, and so, yeah, uh, I, the, the Stoics, you know, said the fruit of this life is acts for the common good. The, the Stoics weren't about sort of just enduring and struggling through your problems. The Stoics said like meaning and sort of triumph comes in what we can do for other people. Final thing, Ryan, very topical is um, meditating on mortality. Memento mori. Correct. And, and the, the other coin I have in, in my pocket is, is that, the idea of memento mori. Um, Marcus Aurelius's quote is, you could leave life right now, let that determine what you do and say and think. And, and so for the Stoics, death was not something to ignore. It was something to actively think about and have at the top of your mind because it creates urgency. It creates perspective. Um, it, it creates priority um, it, and it, it ultimately creates meaning, I think. And so this, this practice of, you know, reminding yourself that you're going to die helps cut through the noise. And, and, you know, weirdly, I think, you know, we talked about some of the good that's come out of this is, you know, people are reconnecting with family, they're reconnecting with themselves, they're examining some of their habits or they're, you know, they're getting perspective on their work. I think, one of the, the the main reason that's happening is not just because they are literally forced at home. It, it it's it's that all of this is 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 under the 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 very real and looming you know sort of reminder that that you could die and you don't decide when that happens. I think a lot of us a lot of us. Um, I gave a TED talk in 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 Budapest, uh, which is actually where Marx really wrote Meditations. Uh, earlier, I guess it was late fall of 2019, and and I I, I walked them through this the, this way that Seneca thinks about it, and you could feel the kind of gasp uh, that the audience uh, made when when the, when I said it. But Seneca goes, you know, the problem, like we think that death is something that lies for us in the future, that it's something we're moving slowly towards, and he says, actually, no, death is something that's happening right now. He says the time that's passed is owned by death. And so he says, like, we're actually dying right now. So you and I died uh, an hour uh, while we had this conversation. And so the question is, did you get an hour worth of life from that? That's the question you have to always be asking yourself. And and I think that's the, the that's, to me, one of the the most beneficial things I've gotten out of stoicism. So when I, you know, I realize when people ask me to do things or when I'm thinking about this or that, I go, I'm, I'm, I'm trading my life for that. And, and it, it helps you, it helps you put it in perspective. Western society clearly has 
ignored probably mortality more than the many societies and we've clearly had mortality shoved in our faces recently haven't we i know that you know i i i tried to think about death over the years but i know i've thought about it more in the last few weeks the possible death of loved ones you know it's it's one of those subjects that's considered in poor taste isn't it but that probably isn't very healthy no and 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 what's interesting about it is it it's like sort of reminding us of all this stuff and most of the people it's reminding of are people whose actual chance of of dying has not really gone up or down much, right? Like obviously, if you're 80 years old, this is much more serious risk to your health than if you're a you know a, a 30 year old man in good health with no pre existing conditions. It's just we choose not to think about death when we get in a car, when we get on an airplane, you know, when we when we go to the doctor, we, 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 when we decide what we're going to eat or not eat, we, we, we've just sheltered ourselves from the reality of our mortality. And, and, and as a result, I actually think we're depriving ourselves of the ability to live fully in the moment because we're not, we're not, we're, we're sort of in a sleepwalking kind of a state. Just very quickly, Ryan, how, how would you meditate on mortality for anyone thinking, oh, OK, clearly they've made a compelling argument why I should. How? Yeah. So so I, I mean, I carry this coin around so I can touch it. Right. So I can. it's a physical reminder on a regular basis to think about my mortality. But when I think about my mortality, I, I sort of run through some questions the Stoics had. So one of my favorite ones from Marcus Rios, he goes, are you afraid of death? because you won't be able to do this anymore. And his point is like, uh, you know, nobody wants to die. And then I go, am I really, uh, I'm, I'm sitting at the dentist, you know, or whatever. And I go, am I really, I want to live forever so I can go to the dentist more times? You know what I mean? Like, what am I wasting my time on, on the scrap? You know, like the, uh, the, the Stoics go like, you know, you, you say you care about living and then you kind of live in a way that's not fully alive. So that, that's, I think one, one big reminder. Um, the the other I think about is like this is this is one of the hardest ones, but I've got two young kids, and, and Marcus Realis talks about as you tuck your kids in at night, he says like say to yourself um, they may not make it to the morning, and the point of that is not to be morbid; it's to prevent you from rushing through bedtime, right? And I go wait, it, this could be the last time I tuck my son in to bed. And I'm trying to, I, I only want to read one book to him instead of two, because I want to go back to my phone and check emails like th this. That's not, that's actually not a reflection of my values. And so what death does is it, it helps us adhere to, to our values, to what we think is important. Has reflecting on your mortality made you less afraid of dying? Um, yeah, I, I would say so. Uh, I mean, it's if, if I, if I heard tomorrow that, uh, you know, I was going to die, I don't think that would be news I'd be excited about. Um, it, you know, it, when I, I've, when people that I know die, it's not something I, that doesn't affect me, but what it, what it has done is take some of the uncertainty about uh, out of the way and it's familiarized me with it. And, and I would say even if it hasn't changed how I actually would face death, and I hope that it would make me better at facing that thing, I do know tangibly it's made me better at living, which is really the, the point of the exercise. Right. Final thing. And, and this, I think, is sort of the almost the little bonus for anyone listening who's um, 
quarantined or isolated through um, coronavirus is dead time. So you, you talk a lot about dead time and live time. And this relates to this, but is also a very practical way, I guess, for people to think about, um, you know, how to spend their time when they're indoors. Yeah. I've, Robert Greene told me once, he's like, there's a live time in this life and there's dead time. Dead time is when you're reactive. It's when you just sort of take things as they come. You know, you, you, you go, hey, I'm stuck in my house until I can go back to work in a month. I'm going to watch a lot of movies. I'm going to eat a lot of food and I'm going to sleep a lot. A live time is the, the decision to say, hey, you know, I'm going to lose 10 pounds while I'm in here. I'm going to read, you know, uh, I'm going to I'm going to read this book series. I'm going to I'm going to teach myself Spanish. I'm going to take a class from an online university. Right. I'm going to reconnect with my wife. I'm going to fix my marriage. I'm going to I'm going to help my neighbors or 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 it's. You know, by the time we're out of this, I'm going to have a plan for running for office so I can contribute to this never happening again. Right. A lifetime is the decision to seize the moment, to, to make good out of it, to, to decide that the obstacle is the way and, 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 and to choose to 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 triumph over, uh, you know, the, the, the situation that you've you've found yourself forced into. I think that's a wonderful place to leave it. Ryan Holiday, um, uh, you know, I was going to fanboy a little bit at the beginning and I know it wouldn't go to your head, so I'll, I'll do it now. Huge fan of yours, huge fan of your work. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, so uh, incredibly grateful for you sparing the time and sharing your wisdom. It's been a, a real joy for me. Thank, thank you so much and uh, stay safe and uh, really appreciate it. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Don't Turn With The Score. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. And I would, of course, be delighted to hear your thoughts, ideas, and questions. Do get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. I do really appreciate you listening. And if you could leave a kind rating and review, I would be sincerely grateful. All that remains is for me to say, I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, thank you and goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.